Hello, and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform, and it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. So, a year ago, right now, month of August, about this exact time, uh, I took, Robin and I took Reagan, my second oldest son, to college uh, down in Florida. And I also was asked to preach the opening convocation and revival meeting there on campus. And, uh, and so got down there, preached Sunday, preached in the college chapels on Monday and Tuesday, and then on Wednesday night, uh, closed out the meeting in a Wednesday night service. A lot of you already know this story, but for the sake of our guest and for the sake of the context of the message, I'm going to tell you what happened. And so that, that Wednesday was uh, an aggressive day uh, spiritually for me. There was a lot of, and I'm going to use the word warfare in my heart and mind as I prepared to preach that evening. I had gotten saved there and gave my life to, to, to serve the Lord in full-time Christian service uh, in the exact meeting many, many years ago. And so this, this opening meeting meant a lot to me. And I was carrying the weight of that. I was wanting to see God do a great work. I would love for somebody to get saved. And I just, I just labored all day, literally, trying to decide what God would have me to preach, praying, seeking the Lord. And now it's like 4.30 and finally I get clarity from God what to preach and I get it all laid out. And so I'm a little tired when that gets done. And so I thought, I need a break for just a minute. I'm going to head out. And so I left campus, went to a service station and I picked me up a bang energy drink. And I'm not a big energy drinker at that time a year ago. I'm not anymore at all now, but, uh, uh, but I would pick one up on a Sunday and I would sip it like coffee over the next three hours, right? I'll just sip it, leave it in my, you know, in, in, in the sound booth in the old building. And, you know, and so um, I, I had drunk them and they never had bothered me. And so I sipped it a little bit and then got back to the room and I put it down and I didn't touch it again until I was about to walk out of the room service started at 7. It's now 6.45, and I'm about to walk out of the room, and I look back, and I see the can, and I grab it, and I guzzle it. There's probably three quarters left in the can. I'll still remember it. It was heavy, and I just finished it off, set the can down, didn't think anything about it. Got to the service. Service started at 7. At about 7.45, I'd been preaching for about 20 minutes or so. All of a sudden, things began to happen while I was standing before uh, 4,000 college students, about 1,500 or so other church family and faculty and whatever. And all of a sudden, my jaw started to get tight. And I could feel this side of my face you know, um, just beginning to feel awkward. And then I felt the weight on my chest. It was as if somebody was kind of squeezing right here. And so I started taking just really deep breaths while I was preaching. Then my left arm started hurting. And I knew immediately what was happening. I'm having a heart attack. And so I'm standing there in front of all these people preaching. and, And my thought was, God, I can't stop now. Please take care of me. I can't. I mean, if I stop now, then everything I've said up to this point, nobody's gonna remember 
They're just going to know that the preacher stopped mid-service and walked off the platform with an entourage behind him and something's wrong, right? And, uh, and so I'm like, Lord, please just give me the strength to finish. I'm thinking this while I'm preaching and these things are happening. And so pretty, I, I finished the message and gave the invitation and then um, and decisions were made. And then I turned around and told the guy behind me, I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. I need to go. And so they immediately took me off the platform within 15 minutes of that moment. I'm sitting in the ER in Pensacola, Florida. And about a couple hours later, they were determining that I did and was having a heart attack. And then about two days later, they came back with these results. You're healthy. You have no vein or vascular issues. There's no blockages. They're, you know, they did all the heart cath and all that stuff. Your heart is healthy. You're borderline getting up there with your cholesterol, but you're not there yet. And, and uh, we think that what has happened was is it was a stress-related heart attack. Uh, the day that you had what you were doing and probably maybe on top of that energy drink that you drank, it began to compress your blood vessels and cut off uh, the oxygen to your heart, which created a, a heart attack. And, and so after two days, they let me go. We flew home. I've had no issues since. I've had a lot of follow-up just for you so you're not worried. If I start breathing deep today, don't panic. Everything's okay. I will stop if I'm feeling like I'm having a heart attack, okay? And uh, so, matter of fact, I'm just kidding. So, um, the point is this, there were signs, there were signs that there was, the left side of my face began to feel tight, the jaw, the, the pressure on my chest became intense, my, my left arm, these are things that I had heard were signs that preceded heart attacks, okay? The Word of God, watch, has given us far more serious signs that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is coming back. If you're a guest with us and this is your first time with us, we have been walking through a journey entitled Looking for That Blessed Hope. And that's what we're doing today. We are looking forward to his coming. Two weeks ago, we studied the rapture. We as a church, as a pastor, and I would say corporately believe in a um, pre-tribulation rapture, which means this, that God has promised that he's going to come and take his saints away with him prior to the seven-year tribulation. Not everybody here would believe that, but I would say that is what I believe, and a majority of us would um, potentially agree that, that Christ is coming back to take his saints with him. And there have been given signs in scripture. And this is what we're going to look at today, uncovering the signs, uncovering the signs. And I want us to journey through this together and encourage each other in it. And you say, well, pastor, what are signs? Because I've heard about some of the signs. Like, isn't wars and rumors of wars one of the signs? Well, well I, I heard about uh, financial collapse. It, it, isn't that like one of the signs? Oh, oh, no, no, Pastor. I remember pestilence. You know what the word pestilence means, right? Disease. COVID-19. Isn't this one of the signs? Wars and rumors of wars, financial collapse, pestilence, disease. How about disasters, earthquakes, I heard a guy recently say that when the fires happened so tragic in Hawaii that the smoke began to block out the rays of the sun, somebody said, the Lord must be coming back because the sun is going black. Well, let me tell you, if you're here when the sun actually goes black, you miss the rapture and you're already in the tribulation period. 
There are signs that God has given to us, and, and a lot of times we see these things and we talk about these wars, rumors of wars, disease, pestilence, all these things, natural disasters. Well, is the Lord coming back? I don't know. So, so, so let's think about this for a minute because unfortunately, um, we like to Americanize what God has made national as if everything happens within our bubble and the time clock of God is moving because of America's bubble. And let me encourage you, that's not true and I can prove that. So let's just say for instance that you were born in 1900. Your birthday was January 1 of 1900. By your 14th birthday, World War I starts and on your 18th birthday it ends and 22 million people have perished. The Spanish flu epidemic hits and runs until your 20th birthday, and the Spanish flu killed 50 million people. On your 29th birthday, the Great Depression begins, and unemployment hits 25%. The national GDP hits 27%. And this runs until you're 33 years old and the world nearly collapses due to financial chaos. When you turn 39, World War II starts. On your 41st birthday, the United States of America is brought in and pulled in, and by your 43rd birthday, 79 million people perish from the war. Smallpox was an epidemic until you were 40 years old, and it kills 300 million people. At 50, the Korean War starts, and 5 million people perish. From your birth until you were 55, you're dealt with the fear of polio, and many were impacted by paralyzation and death. At 55, the Vietnam War breaks out, and it lasts for 20 years, and 4 million people perish. During the Cold War, you live every day with the fear of annihilation, meaning you think that uh, all the nations around you, including Cuba, has acquired nuclear missiles. And everybody at that time began to speak of how the world was about to end and the apocalypse was about to happen. And everybody couldn't imagine Hiroshima happening in New York City or Miami, Florida from the onslaught of missiles coming our way, and yet all that panned out. Since then, most of you probably, if you were born in the 1900s, are now passing away, and another generation is coming on the scene, and they're going to deal with other wars, such as the Mideast Crisis, Desert Storm, Desert Shield, 9-11, covid and all the other tragedies and financial matters that have attacked us since that moment. And so can we look back and go, oh man, the Lord's coming back. Well, well I, I guess we can. And if you look at it from an American standpoint, um, there, there has been a lot to take place right here. But can we pause for a minute and think about something? 
What about the conquest of the Babylonian Empire and the millions of people that died between Babylon, Persia, and Rome conquering the known world? We have always had wars. We have always had rumors of wars. There has always been disease. There has always been pestilence. There has always been financial collapses. There has always been evil people. It's always been kind of crazy. So how do we know? How do we know the difference between can I say this? And it's hard to say it when you look at millions of people dying, but normal life and the actual end times. So here are three things first before we get into these that I want to lay a foundation with, and then we're going to jump into the Word of God and let the Bible tell us what the signs are. So here's three things to remember. Number one, number one, the rapture and the second coming are two separate events. Okay, now watch this. There are about 60 plus prophecies that prophesied that Jesus Christ would come. He would be born of a virgin. He would be um, uh, um, tortured. He would be hung upon a cross. His clothes would be torn into pieces and sold. He would be put into a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he would rise again. 60 plus prophecies. And all of them came true, every one of them to a T. Now, if you're a skeptic of God and the Bible, you are going to have a hard time reconciling the fact that 60-plus prophecies came true that were written uh, seven to 1,200 years prior to them happening, and they came true, not just came true, they came true in, in, in exactness, that is amazing. And a lot of us that are seated right here, right now, we are believers in Jesus Christ. And those prophecies being fulfilled is what gives us confidence right now in who Christ is and that this Bible is real. There was a man who was an atheist who was a professor and mathematician that got saved and put his faith in the Bible and in Jesus Christ because he could not disprove the fact that 60 prophecies came true to a T. Matter of fact, he did the math, and I don't, it's numbers that I can't even swallow in my head to the whatever degree percentage that they would come true. He had to make it simple for somebody like me. He said, if you took the entire state of Texas and you covered it six, seven feet deep in quarters and you marked one and then mixed all the quarters up, set a man loose, blindfolded, and he reaches down and picks up one quarter and it happened to be the one marked, it's the same probability that 60 prophecies can come true exactly the way they did. That's crazy numbers right there. That is why we believe the Bible. That is why we put our faith and trust in what God says outside of the fact that he's God and he told us to, right? And yet, and yet there are still many more prophecies to come that don't motivate us. Now think about that. Would you, I love to think logically, if only 60 prophecies has concreted my belief in this book, then why am I not moved and motivated by the prophecies of Christ's coming that are still yet to be fulfilled? There are two different events on the horizon. One of them is the rapture. We discussed it three Sundays ago. 
Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to have the trumpets blown with a shout and the voice of the archangel. The dead in Christ are going to arise. And then those who are alive and remain will meet him in the air ever to be with the Lord. He takes the church away from the destruction that is to come on those who rejected him. So we're gone. Then the seven-year tribulation starts. Now, here's what's interesting. There are no biblical signs to tell us when the rapture is going to happen. None. But there are many biblical signs that tell us when the second coming is going to happen. When Jesus doesn't stop in the clouds, the Bible says he will come, and for the second time, his feet will strike the earth. The first time he was born as a what? He was born as a what, class? A baby, a virgin in a manger, a person, a human being. He was born in a humble place inside um, uh, an area given to animals and, 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 and the feeding, and the, the troughs, and all that that goes with that. The second time he comes, when his feet hit the Mount of Olives, he won't come as a humble baby, but he will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords in authority ready to conquer. That's the second coming. In between that, somewhere seven years prior to his feet hitting the earth, the rapture is going to take place and the church is going to be called out. But there are no signs for the rapture. So how do I know, how can I know that that moment is getting close? I study the signs of the second coming because the rapture precedes it and it foreshadows what is to come. And there are many signs in scripture of his second coming. Now, I've got eight of them today. It took us about 50 minutes this morning to walk through them. I'm gonna try to move rapidly as I can through this to get us out at a decent time today, okay? Here we go. I want us to see these signs, but but before I do that again, let's finish the, the three things. Number two, intensity, intensity. So somebody asked a question. Has the world always been evil? Yes. So what do I mean by intensity? I I mean this. Okay. Um, America seems evil, so, so I can't determine if Jesus Christ is coming back just because America's evil intensifies. I have to look at it on a global scale, on a national scale. Did you know, if you study history at all, um, whether world history or Bible history, you do recognize that there have been times where wickedness has prevailed. America seems bad. Can we agree? But there have been other times that have been just as vile and wicked as America is now, if not more. The Roman culture and, and, the, and the persecution of Christians and the sexual immorality that took place during those times, it was vile, y'all. It was wicked. But it was just condensed to that area. Today, America seems very wicked, but here's the crazy thing, and we're going to see this in just a moment. It's not just condensed to our area, and it is intensifying not just in America, but nationally. So think about this. The pilgrims jumped on a boat to escape um, religious oppression, to have the freedom to worship, and they came over in 1492 and sailed the ocean blue and and found uh, America. Okay, let's say you want to escape it now. Where are you going? Space. <laughs> we're going to space, man. We're going to, we're going to start a new whole civilization on the moon. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
It's not just America that is wicked. And we're going to see this in a moment. The world is intensifying globally in craziness. Okay, so think about that. Number one, the rapture and the second coming are two different events. Secondly, um, when we look at prophecy, we're, we're looking for intensity. Number three, when we look at prophecy, prophecy, we're looking for what is called super signs. And we'll talk about those in a minute. Signs that are clear and dogmatic that something is happening. It's not a guess. It's not a gamble. It is what we would call, um, and I hate even, it, it, it almost sounds like we're just romanticizing the idea of signs, but it's a super sign. So let's jump in quickly to the signs, and, um, and, and let's do this by taking a test. We're going to call it the end times signs test, all right? And we're going to walk through the Word of God to see all of these today, and I want you to follow me along in Scripture. Get your Bibles ready. Ready, number one, the character rot test. Go with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. And, and again, you're going to have to walk with me quickly for the sake of time. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. This know also, verse 1, that in the last days, in the last days, there's your phrase, perilous times shall come. What are these times going to look like in the last days? Verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. There's going to come a time where intensity of the intensity of, of men being lovers of themselves are going to really, uh, I need to back up. There's going to come a time where men will be the lovers of themselves and that will intensify. I mean, men have always loved themselves, but, but you're going to see a time where that intensifies, okay? Nationally, or excuse me, worldwide. Uh, the Bible says covetous. That, that means they're lovers of money. Boasters. Proud prideful, arrogant, loud, loudly uh, prideful, arrogant people, blasphemers. Look at this one, disobedient to parents. By the way, have we ever, as far as I know, have we ever lived in a time where disobedience to parents is more rampant than it is now? When, even 20 years ago when I was a kid, there seemed to be somewhat of a respect for authority, and that is, that is um, globally seeming to be disappearing. Unthankful. Man, unholy. Without natural affection. It, it, again, we're talking globally, not nationally. There, there's going to come a time globally that uh, this idea of, of uh, not following the natural order of men and women is going to intensify. And by the way, I, I just want to show you this for, for proof's sake. This idea of the transgender movement, movement, the homosexual movement, this is not just an American thing. This is a global thing. What we're what we are seeing in America is not just happening here. It's happening in China. It's happening in Europe. It's happening. They're even struggling with it in cultures that have always looked down on this type of stuff. It's a battle globally right now. It's intensifying. Okay. Are we tracking together? Okay. Now watch what happens. Truce breakers. False accusers, the idea of slanderers. Man, I, I find it interesting whether you're Republican or Democrat, and I definitely don't believe with everything that Donald Trump believes, but I'm telling you, it's amazing the slander that that man is getting. It's amazing the slander that Joe Biden is getting. 
It's amazing the slander the independents are getting. It's amazing the slander that other uh, uh, countries and their leaders, the tearing down of people. There's no longer elevating of great leaders and heroes. It's always slander and slander, and it's, it's becoming popular worldwide. Isn't that interesting? Notice what the Bible is saying. Without natural affection, false accusers, incontinent, which means their sin is unrestrained, fierce, despisers of those that are good. It's not even that they don't like the good, that they're now tearing down those that are good. Traitors, heady, which means reckless, high-minded, which means they're conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. By the way, aren't we seeing that globally? Never again has there been a time in human history where Christianity looks pretty, but has no power. There's a lot of big movements going on in Australia and other places in America and across the, the, the seas in Europe. And there's a lot of this, this fun, loving, love people singing and, and all this stuff that's happening. And it looks as if it's pretty, but it has no power. It's got the form of godliness, but the power of God is missing. Does that make sense? We see that even in the realms of Christianity. Uh, notice this as well. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort, from this type of people, are they which creep into houses and lead captive, silly women. The idea is simple-minded women laden with sins and led away with all kinds of divers of various lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. There is coming a time where the character of Christianity will rot and the character of mankind will rot and the intensity like has never been seen before. Not just nationally, but globally. Test number one, the character rot test. And I'm not, and just, just for some people that uh, maybe you've been here a while or you haven't been at New Life, I'm not a pessimist. I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I'm actually the guy that looks at you and takes you for the face value, benefit of the doubt. Some of you have better gifts at being skeptical. That's not me. But I'm telling you, whether you're a pessimist or an optimist, if you're a realist, you're recognizing that we live in a time that is degrading rapidly and globally, not just America. The world is rotting right before our eyes. We are dealing with things that we've not seen in our lifetime and then lifetimes before that. The character rot test. Number two, quickly, the apostasy test. The idea of apostasy is apostasy, we're going to get it out in a minute, is the idea of calling good evil and evil good. It's technically a crisis of our faith. So go with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, look at verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in, or clearly, that in latter times, in the last days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed, or the idea is paying attention to, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. If it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God, 
and prayer. Now, now this is important to recognize. There, are, uh, there, there is a falling away of um, truth even among um, so-called believers right now in the 21st century. There, there are uh, big-name people that at one time believed in God and are walking away. There are groups of people who at one time believed truth concerning Scripture but somehow have been convinced otherwise. Uh, we live in a society where, where even the young people of today have access to the Internet and, and the stuff they would have never questioned they are now questioning like never before. And, and, and it's not that God has changed or that truth has changed. It's just the access to false teaching has changed, which created a culture of apostasy like never before. Matter of fact, Pew Research, go look it up yourself, and Barna Group have both done all the homework for us and have let us know that like never before, not just America, and America seems to be leading the way, but the world is walking away from a common understanding of God to the fact that there is no God like never before. Matter of fact, if you go look at the numbers, go look it up again under Pew Research, you'll find out that, um, that, uh, that, that Christians, and not just Christians, but culture in general, is walking away from things they used to just kind of agree on and, and now are becoming atheists and agnostics like never before. And, and, and it's not just people um, who were born in atheist homes. It is people in general that are now saying there is no God when a long time ago, even if you weren't a Christian and, and didn't attend church, a good old boy would say, man, I know there's a God up there, but man, I just don't go to church, Right? That's not happening anymore. There's this falling away, this walking away from, from, from truth um, in, in, in such a grand scale that even the numbers are predicting the movements of this globally. The apostasy test. Do we live in a time where people are beginning to walk away from truth and that is intensifying? Next, really? Ready? Look at scripture number three, the Antichrist test. Go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter number two. 2 Thessalonians chapter number two. Here's what the Bible says in verse number three and four. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Okay, there it is again, that, that there's going to be a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The Bible says there's going to come a time where somebody's going to come on the scene, and this person who will come on the scene is going to be worshipped as if he were God. He's going to lead people to a false sense of peace. He's going to offer things that only Christ himself could have and should have offered. And this man is known as the Antichrist. Now let's pause for just a minute. The Antichrist is going to be revealed in the end times. So can I be clear? I hope if the Antichrist is revealed, you miss the rapture. Now, now, is it fun to wonder maybe if the Antichrist is alive right now? 
based upon other signs. Yeah, I guess he is. He owns Tesla. I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not the Antichrist, okay? Uh, but uh, we can joke about stuff like that. We can assume. We can wonder. There's nothing wrong with that. But the Bible says that this, this Antichrist is not going to be revealed. By, by the way, I'm really kidding. I don't, it, he's, just, he's just a fun character, a national character to watch, right? Um, but uh, th- this, this Antichrist is not going to be revealed until those who believe in Christ are removed and that moment of the working of God is finished. And then at that moment, the Antichrist will be revealed. Okay, this is a sign when the Antichrist is revealed, when this one that brings peace is revealed, you will know that you were in the end times. But matter of fact, let's read scripture a little bit further. Look at verse number five. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Paul says, I've been teaching you this for a while. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So there's gonna be a removing and then shall and then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Amen. When, when Christ comes, he's going to destroy the Antichrist. Praise God for that. It, it, it is prophesied. Even him whose coming is after the work of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So so there's going to be a people that when this Antichrist comes had a chance to accept Jesus Christ but did not and now is going to be deceived by the Antichrist and because of that will not be able to accept Christ during that seven-year period because of their rejection of him. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And why not? The world at this moment is going to be going through one of the most chaotic, traumatic events that it's ever ha- gone through. Thousands of people are going to be gone and raptured out of here. And I know we've seen movies and read books, but we have to think about that. If we believe in the rapture and its imminent coming, everybody's not going to be asleep in the bed at home at the same time. There are going to be some driving cars. There are going to be some flying planes. There are going to be some in different locations that are all of a sudden going to disappear. And the chaos of the world is is going to be like never before. And so why not there be a man revealed that calms everybody down, that that, that begins to set up a delusion and a lie, who begins to bring peace, and and then he's going to use Israel to be a part of that peace process. I've heard people say this, um, here's how we know when Jesus is coming back, the temple is going to be built. And you're right, in order for the seven-year tribulation to happen, there has to be a temple in Jerusalem. Because the Antichrist is going to do what is called uh, the, uh, uh, the abomination, the desolation abomination there inside the temple as he's going to worship a false god there and one's going to rise up and just crazy. So there's got to be a temple. But me personally, again, this is the fun part of studying the end times. I think this is speculation. What better way can the Antichrist get Israel to be on his side than offering to help build the temple? Well, what about the red heifer, Pastor? We've heard these stories about a red heifer, and when the red heifer is revealed, then, then, then that's the time that Christ is coming back. Again, um, the red heifer doesn't have to be revealed in your lifetime prior to the rapture. 
If the red heifer even has anything to do with end times, it'll happen when the temple is built and then they sacrifice the red heifer and use his ashes for purification. We don't have to see a red heifer before Jesus comes back. It's just got to be potentially there before the temple and all the mess that's going to happen with that. What about blood moons? Man, I love it when there's a, when, when a moon has any tint of red because people go crazy. Like, Jesus is coming back. I'm ready to go. Hold on. Don't hold on to anything. Let go. If he's coming, he's coming. But blood moons, man, they've been happening for years. It's just the way the earth lines up when the, when the moon turns red. But again, if you read the passage and know your Bible in, uh, and what it says about the blood moon, the blood moon doesn't happen until God begins to unleash his wrath upon the earth. That's when the moon turns red. And if you're here for that moon, you miss the rapture. Doesn't that make sense? We love speculating. We love to have fun with all these things, but there are some true tests in the Bible that says this. When the end times come, there's going to be a falling away of apostasy. When the end times comes, you're going to see the character rot of the world. When the end times comes, there's going to be an antichrist announced. He will make his way on the throne. He will lead the world. Look at the next thing quickly. When the end times come, there's going to be scoffers. Second Peter chapter three. The Bible says in verse number one, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir, your, uh, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. What is he doing here? Verse three, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking in their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from, beginning, uh, from the beginning of creation. Simply what the Bible says is there's going to be an intensity of scoffers. And the scoffers are going to say this. Seriously, y'all, see, told you that God's not real because there's wars and rumors of wars, and there have always been wars and rumors of wars since the beginning of time. And there's disease and pestilence, and there's always been disease and pestilence. And, and there's economy collapse, and see, he hasn't come back yet, so he must not be real, and he must not be coming back. You think that is happening right now? You think scoffers are real right now and loud? They are. Just Google it. No, no don't Google it. <laughs> There are scoffers right now making fun and tearing down this idea of God and who God is just because something hasn't happened yet. And the Bible says that is going to intensify as the end times get closer. Number five, the assembly of a one world government. Now, I'm going to run through a lot of information uh, quickly, and you're going to have to hang on uh, quickly as well, but you'll help by doing this. Open your Bibles right now to Revelation 13 and Daniel 9. Hold your finger in both of these. We're going to flip back and forth because one is a prophecy written now um, about uh, 3,000, close to 3,000 years ago, or, or yeah, 3,000 years ago, and, and then one written only about uh, 2,000 years ago. One is the prophecy that we're going to find in Daniel. One is the prophecy that is going to be given by the Apostle John, and yet both of these prophecies line up, okay, that they have the same characteristics. And so we're going to bounce between these concerning the assembly of a one-world government. This is the next test, test number five. 
Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. Follow me. We're going to walk through this. John, in his apocalyptic vision of the book of Revelation, sees the beast who is identified, as we study Revelation, as the Antichrist, rising out of the sea and having seven heads and ten horns. Notice this. And I stood up, this is John, upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and, ten, and upon his ten horns ten crowns. The idea of crown means upon each horn ten nations. There were uh, ten leadership roles. He was in charge of all of them. Okay, So the ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. So we know this to be the Antichrist. Now watch this compared, flip over to Daniel 7. Verse number 19, Daniel 7, 19, that I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the 10 horns that were in his head and of the other which came up and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great thing, whose look was more stout than his fellows, I beheld. And the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. So we see the two stories and the comparison of the beast that had the ten horns. And upon the ten horns, there were crowns upon each, which says that he would lead ten nations. He would rule and conquer ten nations. He would um, be the commander, the chief of ten nations. Now, this this leader is going to persecute the church. Revelation 13, 7 and it was given unto him to make war with, not the, excuse me, not the church, but the saints that are alive at that time, war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given over all kindreds and tongues and nations. We see this 10-nation confederacy, and we're not going to go there now. And in Daniel chapter 2, remember the dreams that Daniel uh, saw of Nebuchadnezzar and the big statue? Someday we may bring that up here and let you see it. Um, but this statue represented different times throughout history and different nations who would lead. And at his feet was the final part, 10 toes, 10 nations. Those are the 10 nations mentioned of upon the crown of horns and all the, um, uh, the, 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 yeah, the crowns upon the horn, the crown of horns with the crowns upon the horns. Okay, make sense? This is the Antichrist. This is the one who is now conquering and ruling over all this idea of a one world government. John describes the ruler of this vast empire as having power and great authority given to him by Satan himself. Back to Revelation 13, verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, that is Satan, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. This ruler receives worship from all the world. Look at verse 3 of chapter 13. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wandered after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him? So not only will he lead, now he is going to be worshiped. Okay, he is the Antichrist. Again, 
The Antichrist has to be revealed in order for end times to be here. And watch this. He has got to rule over all the great nations at once, including for three and a half years. Israel itself will be under the power and the peace promises of the Antichrist. Okay, let, let's keep walking through this quickly. Revelation 13, 7. This person will be the leader of the one world government that is recognized as sovereign over all governments. Revelation 13, 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. I remember even as a young 20-year-old whippersnapper, right? I would think this thought. Man, how in the world is one guy going to lead uh, great nations and control them all and trick them all to come underneath his power. I mean, I was raised in North Carolina. I, I was raised around good old boys. I dare him to come up in my yard, boy. I'll get out the shotgun and we'll deal with this. Right? Right? I'm thinking, how in the world is that going to happen with red-blooded Americans? You know what is happening right now and right before our eyes? Nations are giving up their sovereignty so that they can have uh, a better climate. That is happening right now. They're willing to let one world power control their sovereign nations in order to have a better climate. Americans, red-blooded Americans right now are giving up their freedoms for the sake of making things better and more peaceful. Don't think this is going to be some kind of um, weird, strange phenomenon. It's happening right now. It's happening. It has to happen, though, for the Lord to come back. The character, we get so caught up in people being people, instead of focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ, look, for Jesus to come back, the character of the world has to rot. For people to come back, apostasy has to happen. For people to come back, people have to give up their freedoms. And I'm not saying we need to lie, lay down and just let this thing steamroll us, but I'm telling you, it has to happen for the majority for Jesus to come back. And that's the world we live in. Instead of trying to convince everybody to not let it happen, I think we ought to be convincing everybody to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that when the trumpet is blown, we're taken out and they can have their mess. It, these things are happening. There is a one world government transpiring right before our eyes. Nations are coming together as one. There is a one world currency rapidly happening right now. There are people literally letting, and we'll talk about this in a moment, people put chips in their hands so they can scan them and make it easier to purchase things. That is happening right now. So when I'm saying, what I'm saying is, does God give us signs? Yes, he does. Apostasy, character rot, the Antichrist, one world governments, which means one world currency. It's got to happen. It, this is a hard balance though, isn't it? Because, Mac, I don't want to roll over and play dead and give up my freedoms until Jesus comes back. I want those freedoms. Right? But at the same time, I have to recognize that this stuff has got to happen for him to come back. But that means I'll be the minority. And the craziness will intensify and be the majority. 
And that's what the Lord says is going to take place. We see nations today giving up their sovereignty to combat climate. We see nations today giving up their sovereignty to make things financially better. There's a monumental crisis in our world right now for, for this one world government. And by the way, this is not new. Once entrenched in power, the beast, the Antichrist, and the power behind him, Satan will move to establish absolute control. He will demand worship, and Satan will edge closer and closer toward his goal over those seven years to be in charge. He's always wanted to be in charge, and he is going to work to do that. He is going to control people through commerce. He's going to control people, the Antichrist, through um, this idea of... Um, of uh, being rich and poor, great, small, being able to purchase food. All these things are going to happen. The Bible says in Revelation 13, 16, and he calls it all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive the mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. It's, it, it's going to happen. It, 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 it has to and, and that brings us as believers hope that Christ is on the throne and it seems like the world is in chaos, but he's coming back and he's going to conquer Satan and destroy him and rule and reign here for a thousand years. That's what the Bible says. Notice next, the next test. And I'm trying to move quickly. The next test, Israel. And, and I believe this is a super sign. And I'm going to walk through this rapidly because some of you know this, but man, this, this made the hairs on my arm stand up. This is exciting. In 1948, Israel got their country back. In AD 70, the Roman conqueror Titus rolled through Jerusalem and captured the city. At that moment, all the Jews were scattered across the world. In World War II, six million Jews were murdered by the Nazi regime, again, Satan trying to stamp out God's people. In 1948, as prophecy foretold, the Jews got their country back. And in 1967, at the end of the Six-Day War, Israel got Jerusalem back. Okay, this is significant. This is just not the conquering of land. This is 2,000 years coming and prophecy being fulfilled. Okay, let me read it to you. The Bible says in Ezekiel 37, verse number 12, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost, and we are cut off in all parts. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, all my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord God. When I have opened your graves, all my people, brought you up out of the graves, and you shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. This is the land of the Jews in Deuteronomy chapter number 1, verse 8, that God promised. I have given you a land to possess. It will be your land. Don't miss that. So let me tell you what has happened since 1948. In 1948, 806,000 Jews moved back into Israel, okay? Since then, this is crazy. Since then, they have, uh, are now approaching 10 million people living in Israel now. That's a 
fold increase since 1948. 3.3 million Jews have migrated or immigrated back to Israel since 1948. And today Israel, watch this, is now approaching for the first time, almost 50% of its population is Jewish. Guys, that's crazy. Why? Because the Bible said it would happen. The Bible said they would have their land and they would start to come back to their land as bones that were dead at one time coming alive and moving back to the place that God had promised them. There is a movement right now in Israel that is absolutely phenomenal that only sets up for the super sign that Israel is going to play a vital role in the seven years after Christ comes and takes back his church. It's got to happen and it is happening. Matter of fact, Israel right now is leading in farming, biotech, medicine, livestock. What they're doing right now with water is absolutely phenomenal. We could learn some lessons here, here in America. Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 speaks of the tactical, tactical threat of neighboring countries. And that critical view of Israel is on the rise. Hey, by the way, I, I know you're hearing a lot of stuff and a lot of negative things about Israel. And I know there's a lot of talk to kind of turn our back and let them go their own way. But I promise you, America never wants to do that. Never turn your back on Israel. They are God's chosen people, no matter what the media tells you. No matter what the media tells you. The promises are for Israel. And God is going to fulfill his promises through them. They play a vital role in end times. But the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 12, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. This little tiny nation is going to cause all the other nations to stagger like a drunken man. Israel is going to become a boulder that cannot be moved in the way of all the other nations wanting to conquer. And God's hand of protection in prophecy is all on this. Russia, Iran, Turkey, Magog, Gog, these nations are going to rise up and try to conquer and stamp out Israel. And God's going to protect them in a miraculous way, the prophecy says. So we have the Israel test, and then lastly, we have the technological test. We have the technological test. It's going to require a tremendous amount of technology for this stuff to happen. Matter of fact, the Bible says, again, there's, the, the Word of God actually says in, in Revelation, there's going to be a chip in their hand. There's going to be something under their skin that's going to give people access to be able to purchase food. Now, look, I know some of you in the room, you hate technology. I love tech. Somebody asked me, said, Pastor Ray, if you could buy a Mustang, which one would you buy? I'd buy one with Bluetooth. <laughs> I just want tech. I want an AC that works. I want Bluetooth. I'd probably get a newer one because it's got new gear and gadgets. I love tech. Right now, I can walk into a store and take this phone and double-click it and pick the card I want and set it on the register, and it goes, Bloop. and the money's taken out of my account at a bank in South Carolina. You say, why South Carolina? Because that's where we opened our checking account 20 years ago, and I've never moved that bank, right? It's just the way it is. How easy is it going to be to take my hand and go, we already have the tech, and you would know this. The chip that's in this phone is perfectly the size that can go right here and just flip my hand upside down and make a purchase. By the way, this is already happening. It's not here in America but it's already happening. They are testing this in other countries. There are people who already have chips under their skin and are purchasing things at stores. Technology. Never have we had such an intensity of technology. It's got to be here. 
in order for him to come back. We have everything we need for the rapture. Nothing's got to happen for that trumpet to blow and for God's people who are saved and believers in Christ to be called out of here to escape the wrath that is to come that follows this seven-year period. I'm, I am so grateful that I'm confident this morning that I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and that if that trumpet were to blow, I'm gone. But after that, seven years, seven years, and Jesus Christ himself sits on a mountain and tells his disciples all about it. And we're going to learn about that next week. Seven years. What is it going to be like? What's going to happen during that seven-year period of time when God's people are gone and all those who rejected him have been left behind? What's going to take place? I say all this today. You say, Pastor, why are you telling us about all these signs? Again, we put so much confidence in the signs that Jesus said he was coming to, to be born, to die, and to be buried, and we're thankful for that. But he's coming again. And he has left us with this information so that we be prepared to tell those about his impending coming and, and the wrath that is going to come upon those who choose to reject him. And I know it sounds like doom and gloom, but for those who reject Christ, it is doom and gloom. But we have the good news to tell others about Jesus Christ so that they can be rescued from this moment. I pray that you would. Father, Lord, help us to... We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about Him and as you study His Word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church podcast.